Greetings and welcome back to another and ongoing series of Shirim and Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We are now in Masachet Balakama, Daf Mem Chet Amud Bet, at the bottom of the Amud, <coughs> dealing with the issue of Vladot. Shor Shemit Kaven Lechaviro. If an ox was intending to hurt, let's say, another ox, and instead he hit a woman, and a tragedy happened, and she miscarried. The owner of the ox does not have any liability to pay for the Vladot, as is stipulated in the second Pasuk on the page. But if a man was intending to hurt somebody else, and, and instead he hit the woman and caused a miscarriage, he does have to pay. Now, we will, in the beginning of the Gemara, take a look at the implication of the opening line that indicates, that implies at least, that if an ox was intending to hit the woman, he would have to pay, and we will adjust that. Now, how do we pay Dmei Vladot? Tanakama's position, and this will be consistent through all of the, the interpretations, is that we estimate the value of the woman as a pregnant woman on the slave market, as it were, and how much she is uh, how much she is depreciated as a result of no longer being pregnant. Now, I'm trimming Gamliel, and this will be subject to dispute as to what he means. What do you mean? She actually gains in value. After she gives birth, we'll see what that means. We estimate how much the potential child that would have been born was worth, and that's what you give to the husband or the father. The man's not alive, you give it to his heirs. Let's say that she was Shifcha. Uh, and subsequently became liberated. Obviously, if she was a shifcha and was still owned, then the money would go to her owner. Or gioret, and we'll see that gioret does not really mean gioret, it means the wife of a ger, and the ger had, uh, her husband had died in the meantime. Then, the fellow who struck her is patur. We will see all of this dealt with in the Gemara. Okay, the opening line of the Gemara deals with the implication of the opening line of the Mishnah. Tamadimit kaven lachavero. The implication is that only it's, the only ox is only off the hook, or the owner of the ox is only off the hook because the ox wasn't intending to hit the woman. Hamid kaven If he was intending to hit the woman, there is vladot. So this stand, seems to stand against Ravada Barahava's ruling. If an ox intended to hit the woman, there's still no liability for vladot. So here's how he would explain the Mishnah. Really, if an ox, no matter what he intended, he's exempt. Why did it specifically mention an ox intending something else to hit a, a, another fellow? Because in the second half of that clause, we want to talk about a person who intends to hit somebody else and inadvertently hits the woman, because that's the scenario the text presents in Shemot. Therefore, the Reisha also used that same kind of scenario. It's what we call parallel construction. Now, if a shore attacked a shifcha, and um, and she miscarried. He does have to pay, obviously, to the owner. Because in the in the context of this particular law, and there's only limited context that we do this, we regard the shivcha knaanit as being similar to an animal. 
that when Avraham has his two Kanani lads with him and says, you stay here with the donkey, the idea is you and the donkey are alike, and therefore, if a shore attacks another animal and causes damage, has to pay, same thing here. Okay, Ketzim Mishalim is Mevladot. The question is, how is the payment heaven? Mevladot. Shevach Vladot Mevayle. Why is the Mishnah talking about Mevladot? After all, Tanakama's presentation was that we talk about the woman's depreciation as a, um, as from being pregnant to not pregnant. So it should be Shevach Vladot Mevayle. How do we estimate the appreciation? So Achnami Kamar. Ketzim Mishalim Mevladot Vishevach Vladot. So the Mishnah really meant both. That's the Tanakhama's presentation. Now, what is it saying? Two takes, Rabba and Rava. And what's going to be difficult is there is a Brita that explicitly supports each position, and the positions are not consistent. And both presentations are only going to deal with Rishim Gamliel because Tanakhama's statement is clear. Rabbi says that Rabbi Shem Gamliel's challenge is that a woman becomes worth more after she's given birth. So rather we estimate how much the child would have been worth, and that's what we give to the to the man. Exactly like Rabbi said. Rava Amar, Rava disagrees, and he says, here's what Rishim Gamliel was bothered by. It is the woman's increased value or decreased value, something that is only part of the vladot, meaning only the money that's going to the husband, because remember, the husband is going to be getting all the money of the vladot, but her own personal value is going up or down. And that's why Meshavach Vladot Klum, she has not no stake here. So it's from Shem Gamliel's position. We estimate the Vladot and give that to the Baal. But the value of the woman, as it depreciated as a result of uh, this accident, that money is also estimated and split between the woman and the man. And again, we have a bright that says exactly this. We separate the Nezek and the Tsar. The woman obviously gets the Tsar. The Vladot themselves, that money goes to the Baal. And the Nezek, that they split. Now, problem is in the first bright, Rabbi Gamliel is presented as saying that a woman's value goes up after giving birth. In the second one, he agrees that it goes down. The question is just where that money goes. So, which is it? So, if it's her first birth, then her value really goes up afterwards because we now see she can successfully give birth and not die. I mean, this is a problem in, in the ancient world. Afterwards, <clears throat> when we know that she's a successful childbearer, then her worth actually goes down afterwards because she was worth more as a pregnant woman. Alright, So now let's ask the question, why did the Rabbanon say that the woman's personal devaluation as a result of this, not just the value of the Vladot, goes to the man, all to the man, can it not? Since the text says, that if she loses the children, look at the text, says, a pregnant woman, so the fact that she loses her kids, obviously I know she's pregnant, why do I have to mention she's pregnant? To tell me that the value of her being pregnant, or the depreciation as a result of what happened, also goes to the husband.
<coughs> What's he going to do that? What is he going to darshan from Hara? Because he obviously can't use it for that. He says it's for a different lesson, which is that you're only liable in this entire parsha of Ladot if the attack, it's inadvertent, of course, happens and hits the woman near the area where she's pregnant. Now, let's see what this means. Rapapa says you don't have to hit her in the stomach. Anything that would cause a wound to the fetus. But let's say you hit a woman in the arm or the leg, and then later she miscarries. We don't connect the two, and so you're not liable for that. Alright. So the end of the Mishnah said that if she is a Shifcha, or as again, as I explained, Giorat here means the wife of a Ger, you're Patur. Rabba says that's only true if the attack happened while her husband was alive and then he died, and of course he has no heirs, otherwise it's a no-brainer, the heirs get the money. Here's his reasoning. Since the attack happened while the husband was alive, the husband gained the, the uh, collection, as it were, of the funds. And since the ger died, and a ger dies without heirs, his stuff is half ger, this fellow who hadn't yet paid then gets the money back, as it were. And so he doesn't have to pay. But if the woman was already a widow when, uh, when she was pregnant, but her, the father had already, of the children had already died, and then he, the attack happened, then the woman gets the money. And you have to pay her. Now, Amrav Chista, Mari Dechi, how could you say such a thing? Atu Vladot, Sorry Ninho, Vazachibahu, you think that the Vladot are just some sort of a monetary piece that somebody grabs onto? Ella, Ite Labal, Zachali Rachmana, Leite Labal, Lo. The Torah simply says, if the man is around, then the Torah gives him the money. If not, then there is no money. So therefore, even if the husband had died before the attack happened, there is no payment. Now, Meitav is a challenge to Rabbah. This we had earlier on. If the man is not around, his heirs get it. If the woman's not around, the part that she gets, which is Tsar, goes to her Yorshim. So Zacha seems to mean that uh, the fellow doesn't have to pay. So it sounds like a support for Avchista. So Amri Umiyam Adifim Anitin. So the Beit Midrash has said that's no different than our Mishnah. Tukimna Shachaval Bachaya Ger Metager. Achanami Chaval Bachaya Ger Metager. How do we explain our Mishnah that you attacked her? her the attack happened while the husband was alive, and then he died. Same thing here. Vibayit Eima Lachami Tatager. This Brayta I could even explain as having taken place after he died and she was single. And don't say Zacha. Vitani Zachta. Zachta means she gets it. All right. Good. Now, Lema Katanoi, perhaps this whole discussion, dispute between Rabba and Rav Chista about whether uh, the um, the um, money, if the woman was single, the, the ger had already died, and uh, when the attack happened, whether she gets the money or there is no payment, is a machloka tanaim. Here we go. Bad Yisrael, she said, if a woman married a ger and then became pregnant, and then somebody hit her while the man is alive, the vladot money goes to the ger. But if it, the attack happened afterwards, there we go. We have one tana says chayav, one says patur. That seems to be exactly Rabban Rav Chista. 
My love, Tanoinin, who, so isn't the Rabbi Rav Chista just a replay of this machloket, which if you think about it is a bit of a challenge, because then Rabbi Rav Chista should simply say, halacha like this, halacha like that, and not state them as new statements. So the answer is, the Ramba vanai Tanoi. Rabbi has to agree it's a machloket Tanaim, as he has to admit there's somebody here who says patur, uh, even though the attack happened after the husband died. But is Rav Chista forced to say that his position is not a consensus? He has a very simple solution. He says, the one who says Chayav, it's Shem Gamliel, and Chayav refers to Shavach Vladot, and Shem Gamliel says she's going to get anyways. Rabbonin will say that there's only Tmei Vladot, and that we'll all agree she doesn't get. But if it's according to Gamliel, why do you have to construct the case like the Brightest has, where it's after the fellow died? Even when the fellow's alive, she gets half. So the answer is, We want to pick a case where she gets the full payment, which is after death. All right. We could answer this differently to still have Rav to be fully within the consensus. It's all Rishim Gamliel. And Rav Chista's right, should we say Rav Chista's position is supported, that uh, that the uh, that even if the attack happens while the husband, after the husband's dead, there's still no payment to her. Chayav is referring to Shabach Vladot, and Patur is referring to Dmei Vladot, and Salman Shem Gamliel says there's two payments. So Amri, so they said as follows, Mishabach Vladot, Nishmali Dmei Vladot. We should learn from what happens to Shavach Vladot and apply it to Dmei Vladot, that Dmei Vladot, we said, only go to the husband because he's alive. If he's dead, it should go to her, because after all, she's collecting the other part. We should learn from Rishim Gamliel's position where he disagreed with Rabbanan. We should learn that they only disagreed when the husband's alive. Maybe the Rabbanan should agree that when he's dead, it goes to her. And this will all throw Rechista uh, into, uh, into a uh, challenge. So Amri, the answer was low. Shavach Vladot, which she had uh, a, a claim on even when he was alive. Then she can get the whole thing when he's dead. But that she never had any sort of a claim on, any sort of control over, she gets nothing, and even if the husband dies, then it's just no payment. Okay, now a related, two related questions about the property of a ger who dies without Yorshim. If a person takes possession of title deeds on land of a ger, mahu. <coughs> What's the status? Man de machzik bishtar. How do we assess his in his intent? Adate de aru de machzik. Are you taking possession of the star not because you want the star at all, but because you want what it represents? Uva aru halo achzik. But you didn't take possession of the land, so therefore star nami lokana, and you, therefore you did not really take possession of the star because that wasn't your intent. To love date ashtara. Odilma date nami ashtara. Perhaps you're also thinking, you know, this could be a nice piece of paper to play with, right? What do you think he wants this paper to cover something up? He wants it for the land. Therefore, he gets nothing, which means if somebody else comes and seizes it from him in order to use it as a, it's a paper airplane, the other fellow gets it because this fellow doesn't own it. So, said back to Nachman, you know what? Maybe he does want it for that. So, we really don't know. Maybe the fellow did intend to keep the paper also for the paper's value. So, Amarava, Mashkonoshla Yisrael Biad Geru Metager. Let's say that a, a uh, Yisrael borrowed money from a ger and gave a collateral to the ger. The ger now dies. 
So what happened is uh, other people came and took his property when the Ger died without heirs, including the collateral. What happens? We take the collateral away from this fellow and give it back to the original borrower. My time. Why? The minute the Ger dies, the Shibud that the Ger had on this collateral for the loan is gone because there's no more debt. And therefore, it belongs to the original guy and the other fellow who seized it, even a split second later, uh, has no, it's not his. Now flip it. Let's say that a ger borrowed money from a Yisrael. So the Yisrael holds on, is holding on to the surety. And then the ger died. And then another Yisrael comes into the Yisrael's house and takes this mashkun because he heard that the ger died and that he has a mashkun in this guy's house. So here's what happens. The Malve, whose house it is, gets to keep the value of the collateral up until the loan. So if let's say the loan was a million dollars and the collateral was a million and a half, the first million dollars of the collateral stays with him, but the other 500,000 goes to the guy who came in and seized it. How come the other 500,000 go to him? After all, it's in the Chatser of the Malve. A person's chatser can acquire things for him even when, even without his intent. So it's sitting there, it should become his the minute the ger dies. Amri, Hachmaskin, what's the story? Delete. We're talking about where the Malva is not around. He's somewhere else. Here's the halacha. If he's around, that if he wanted to buy something or be, acquire something, he could. And as he's present, so his chatser is also kona for him. But if he's not around, he's not there to be kona something that's in his house, because he's not around, so the chatser is also not kona. And that indeed is the halacha, and that's why the other money does go to this new fellow who came in, because the fellow whose chatser it is does not have an automatic kinyana. Okay, we'll pause here and pick up in the next Mishnah, uh, Mishnah Hay, the first part of Mishnah Hay in the next year. Everybody should have a wonderful day.